Welcome to Accounting Insider. I'm Andrew Montessi with Kim Nitschke. And Kim, we've got some solid tips today. You've told me that you're not going to have as many stories, which is a little bit upsetting, but mm. I'm sure something will come out. I hope so. Let's just see how we go. Yeah, but you're talking about tips for people who uh, are being their own property managers, which is, yeah. um, again, one of the values that you subscribe to. Um, so maybe let's just start from the top. So, okay, so I've, I've got a property and I'm not going to pay an agency to manage it for me. I've decided to do it myself. Mm -hmm. What is the first step? Right. So let's just assume that this is your house. You and your wife are living in it. You've decided that you need something bigger. But unlike doing what every other property investor does who sells the family home and rolls all the profit and the, the money they've made into the next one, my advice would be to keep the first one, right? So you're living there now, there's a golden opportunity that you want to take advantage of before you actually move out, and that is nine times out of ten, it's going to be in joint names. Move it into your wife's name, and you can do that. There's no stamp duty. There's no tax payable. There's exemptions if it's your house that you're living in. You've got to do a statutory declaration, but a lot of people overlook that, and they move out, and they try to do it after they've moved out, hmm. and it's, it's a pain in the neck. Now, the reason you want to have it in your wife's name most of the time is for asset protection, Usually, traditionally, the husband runs the business and he's more at risk of getting sued. So you want all of the assets in the person's name that is least likely to get sued. Mm -hmm. And also the other reason is for tax planning, that the, the husband or the breadwinner, whoever, it can be in reverse roles, but let's just say in this situation it's the husband. If he's earning all the money, then it would probably make more sense to have the income from the rent going into the wife's name. Yeah. So now, it might be a loss, but usually if there's a capital gain down the track, you want to put that in the wife's name as opposed to adding it to the already high number that's on the husband's name. Yeah. So I may have missed it, but are you talking about the property that you're living in? Yes. Or? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Which is going from being your principal place of residence so it's or just your a stat family deck home. That's required. Yeah. It's just a form that you fill out, send it in. So Sign does that apply even if I don't have an investment property? I'm just asking for myself here. Um, what do you mean? Because let's just say we're going to, going to divert you slightly as we do. It's fine. But so my place, right? Yeah. It's in joint names, Yeah, my wife and I. And I remember inquiring about putting it just in my wife's name. Yes. And they told me that I, basically I need to reapply for the finance to oh, do okay. it. Okay. Um, well, depending on your bank, most banks are cool with it. Um, Maybe one or two might say that you need to reapply, but I mean, as if they're not going to lend you the money, they probably just want more paperwork done and there might be a reapplication fee. Wouldn't even imagine they'd be that hard. How could they say? Well, that's what they said to me. And I was okay. Yeah, it's probably just got someone on a switchboard who's not fully versed in it. <laughs> it's usually a relatively straightforward All procedure. Right, I, I distracted from the point of yes. this episode. Let's carry but on. It, you know, there is a little bit of um, stuffing around in doing it, yep. but it's well worth it. Yep. In my opinion. Um, What's the story with capital gains? Okay, so this is another thing that a lot of investors are unaware of. You can move out of that property, and this is the situation where you're not buying another property, but let's just say you're going overseas or you're, you're, um, you're living in Darwin and renting just because of a new work contract or whatever, but you're keeping the old place. You can actually rent it out for another six years after you leave it and still call it your principal place of residence right, still get that tax exemption even though mm. you're not living there. It's a crazy rule. Yeah. Not a lot of people know about it. 
but it's well documented if you Google it on the internet. Okay. Um, it's, it's a rule that um, more people should be taking advantage of. Right. And so let's just say you move yeah. out and it's worth 400 grand, you rent it for six years and it becomes worth 700,000. Well, that gain or that movement is tax free if you go to sell it, even if you've got a tenant in there. It's still going on your tax return as a rental property, but for sales purposes, when you go to sell it, it's still treated as, you, as if it's your principal place of residence, which is tax-free exempt. That's awesome. Hmm. And what about land tax? Okay, so let's say that, um, well, how do I word this? Um, as soon as you rent a property out and lodge a deposit with an organisation, that red flags your property as being, um, as having land tax payable on it, right? Okay. So if you reverse engineer that, <clears throat> it's not compulsory to lodge a deposit. But if you don't, there's no, um, there's no warning bell that's ringing saying that you have to start paying land tax on it. Now, you probably have to do a voluntary disclosure, but it happens automatically as soon as you lodge yeah. it. So this upon. is the deposit but, for purchasing the property? No, this is, yeah. this is your rental deposit. Oh, right, okay. So yeah, the yeah. person moving in there, yeah. as soon as you lodge that with the Residential Tenancies Tribunal, it sends a message to the government to send your land tax bill. Okay. Right. Now, you can orchestrate this however you like to, but the rules are with land tax that, Whoever sleeps in there on the 30th of June determines whether it's land tax payable or not, right? So you could rent it out on the 1st of July and skip a whole year's land tax, mm. right? Now, if you choose – now, this happened with a, a client of mine. They were renting a property out. Let's just say they were getting $30,000 a year rent, but it was a beautiful property in a really expensive suburb in Adelaide. As soon as they lodged the deposit – that red flagged the government that they had to pay land tax on it. They had a block of land out the back on this piece of land, which they weren't even using, but they just had a separate title for it. They got a land tax bill for 50 grand, right? Jeez. But if they hadn't taken a deposit, and I'm not saying that that's always the situation, they may not have had to have paid land tax. Okay. Right. It's a bit out there, but all I'm saying is maybe judge your date around it. Like if you're thinking of renting in June, maybe postpone it for a month mm. and start renting in July. And that will, you know, 100% guarantee that you don't have to pay land tax for that mm. year. Right? Yep. So that's just a tip. As that's part of one. this whole um, property management thing, you need to be across everything and <clears throat> moving all those chess pieces into place so that you get a really good result. Okay, that's good. Um, what about your strategy for finding a tenant when um, if you're going down this path of not using an agency, well, what's the best way then to find a tenant and still leverage okay. off the online websites? So in the old days, you just run an ad in the local paper and people would rock up on a Saturday morning and go through. So I'll be doing this for a while and that's the old school. We don't have newspapers. People don't read newspapers much anymore. It's all online. Mm. So these days, unfortunately, well, no, fortunately as well, everyone goes online and finds rental properties, just like they look for a house at realestate.com. The problem is you've, if you're a, um, 
a property manager yourself, you don't, you have to be a registered agent to be able to list on realestate.com. So you need to go through the back door to list it. So there's actually agencies out there that for a $100 fee, they're, they're real estate agents, you team up with them and they will put your property on their effective, effective listing. And I think they even put their name there, but as soon as it goes to their message bank, they flick you a text or an email and say, could you please ring this no. person back? They're interested in renting your property. So it, it bypasses that whole real estate .com.au barrier that's been put up to sort of protect the position of real estate agents. Mm. It sort of undermines that and saves you a pile of money as well. All they do is they give you the introductions. You have to deal with all the people looking through and, and choose who you like, but there's no um, massive fee for like finding a tenant for you that you don't otherwise need to pay, yeah. which some people are paying because they think that the only way that they can get a tenant is by using an agent. Yeah. So there's a different way. Yeah. And what about... What about the actual process of finding a tenant, um, weighing them up, working out whether they're potentially risky or whether they're a good option? What's the right sort of tenant that you're looking for and how, what's your process for okay. interviewing them? Well, <clears throat> big picture, you want a tenant that stays in there for ages, Ron, because the, the most expensive cost of a rental property is renovating it every time a tenant moves up to get it up to spec for the next one. Right, so that could cost um, you know five or ten thousand dollars, depending on what extent you've got to do. And I'm talking about you know painting, repainting the bathroom, um, you know fixing up the garden, replacing the plants that might have died, all of that sort of stuff, mm -hmm. which people become blind to if they're living there for a long period of time. Mm. So <clears throat> you want a tenant that's going to be there for a long time. I always try to go for a family. Right, um, no pets. I don't really want dogs digging up all my dripper irrigation system and weighing on and killing my box hedges and stuff like that. Um, you can if you have that property that suits it where you just have the kaikuya in the back lawn and the concrete paths and the hills hoist. You probably would be okay with a dog and people are happy to pay, you know, it used to be on average 10 bucks a week extra for having a dog in the backyard. Might be 10, 20 bucks now. Um, so we're going for a family. Now, when the people come through at your first inspection, you're going to have be inundated. So you want to collect their names, um, find out where they've rented, you know, what their financial position is, what they do for a job. And you have to legally say to everyone who comes through that you've actually rented the property. You think that you found someone, um, but you'll take their name anyway, right? So it doesn't give them a false sense of mm. hope. They feel as though they've missed out. And this is purely so that if you do turn around and say no to them, but they think that they're the only person looking at the place and they might only be the only person mm. looking at the place, but you don't, you're not up for like a discrimination or anything, you know. Yeah. You've got to keep it pretty loose. Um, but then I'd sit down and, and ring, you know, identify, you'll be able to work out of the 20 or 30 people that you have through, you know, your top five. Um, you might narrow that down to one or two, um, just by doing a bit of research, have a look at Facebook profiles. If there's Do you go that far? Well, um, the last one I did was about four years ago. People weren't as into Facebook as they are oh, now. Oh, yeah, so you've got these really steady yeah. tenants. Um, but I would. And, you know, if there's a picture of them uh, passed out with beer bottles around them and that sort of thing, probably they'd drop down the list, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. You want someone who, um, you know, 
the Facebook profile supports that they're sort of a family person, that they're at kids' sporting events, that sort of thing. Not partying hard on weekends. Because if they're partying on Facebook, they're going to be partying in your house. You don't want too many parties. Mm. You don't want to upset the neighbours. All right. Narrow it down and then do the reference checks. Okay. Right. And then you'll, you'll, you'll go close to finding someone. If you're desperate to find a tenant, you might sort of um, <clears throat> back off on that a bit. Um, just to rent the place out. But I think it's better to hold out um, and wait for the right tenant because it's only going to create more problems down the track if you take someone that um, you don't think is going to be a long-time suitable tenant. Family people are more settled. That's why I like them, even though the kids potentially could knock a bit of the place around with, you know, writing on walls or whatever. Um, Let's hope that not too much that happens, but let's face it, it does happen. Yeah, it It does does happen. happen. Um, mate, what about all the documentation and forms? Yeah. Again, when you're doing it yourself, I mean, that just, that would drive okay. me nuts. Well, this, you know, this, this sort of stuff just in itself puts a lot of people off. However, it's dead easy. Mm. Um, what actually happens is the government is actually there to support you in this sort of thing. They want all the documentation, right? So what you do is you ring the Residential Tenancies Tribunal. They send you a free landlord's kit. Free postage. I mean, you get nothing for free these days. They send out all the documentation that is actually, you know, right up to date with all the latest legislation in there. It's all there for you to use for free. A couple of things that I've learned along the way is, um, so you've got a bond form. You've got to make a call on whether you're going to take a bond or not. I think the maximum you can take is four weeks bond. Do you take the maximum? Yeah, I take it. I do. Um, And then you've got to send it into the Residential Tenancies Tribunal within two weeks. Now, I've done that six months later and got a wrap over the knuckles. <laughs> but um, I think they know me well enough now that I can't get away with it, so it goes straight in nowadays. Um, then you've got to sign a uh, an agreement. Now, I'll go for a 12-month tenancy agreement and then on to variable after that. <clears throat> 12 months is really nothing in the scheme of things. Uh, I'll write on that form that they've received the actual... Um, rules and regulations surrounding being a tenant because often if you go to the Residential Tenancy Tribunal and that's only happened once in my uh, rental career um, often the tenant if they're clever will say well the, you know, the landlord never gave me the booklet with all my information mm. in it. and then the judge looks at you and goes well did you or didn't you and if they've signed that they have they can't really yeah. turn around there and say they haven't got it so just little tips like that that um, I do I, right off the bat I would make sure that they deposit the rent via electronics funds transfer into my account. In the old school, a lot of the Italians used to go around and collect the rent in cash. I haven't got time for that. I can check. I'd rather just log on to internet banking and see that the rent's in the account. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes into the rental account that my bank interest and um, interest-only payments are going out of. So I should probably check that every fortnight, but usually you've got such a good relationship, you know whether they're behind or not because they'll ring you. Um, so that just happens and then the... the the the, uh, the other uh, monitor on that is that the bank will ring you if the account goes into overdraft, which means that the tenant hasn't paid their rent. Yeah. Okay. What's your strategy on pricing? How do okay. you determine how much you're going to charge? Um, mm. Is it fortnightly? Is it monthly? Are you going to put it up after a certain amount of time? Okay. Um, I will do the research in the area and find out what places are renting for. And I'm always staggered. You know, if I have a tenant moves out, it's usually after five or six years and I've got to put the rent up significantly. I'll always go in lower than all of the neighbouring places, about $10 a week less. And 
I do that for a good reason. And the reason is that the tenants know that they're getting a bargain, mm-hmm. right? And there's a bit more demand for the property. But what I learned for my old boss at PricewaterhouseCoopers is you never put the rent up at all for the period that they're there. And that is a massive incentive for them not to move out, mm. right? And it gets to the point where they know that they're paying $150 a week less towards the end of their tenure, if we're talking, you know, six, seven years, less than the market, right? And they won't ring you, you know, like if a tap's leaking or whatever or, you know, light bulbs. Often if they know that they're sort of doing all right, A, they won't move out. B, they won't keep hassling you about all the maintenance things. I'm more than happy to go there and fix that stuff if they want. But you find that it tapers off Mm. and, you know, set and forget is really, you, you want that passive income rolling in. And I know that doesn't exist, but you, the other thing is the flip side to that is you don't want them contacting you every week over this wrong or that's wrong or can you come and fix it. So that sort of takes care of itself. And then if you can also get that six, seven-year term of the tenant, you know, let's just say property's double in value in seven years, they've effectively paid your mortgage for you in seven years. Mm. They haven't hassled you. You know, your rent's down, sure, but they've got they've been thinking they've been getting a bargain. You're all friends. It just all works perfectly. Mm. Uh, what else do you do to keep your tenants happy? Um, just maintain a really good friendship with them. Um, always do get things fixed promptly. Like there's a lot of tenants out there who, um, you know, they'll try to scrimp and save on any repair that they do on the property. I'm not like that. I'll go and fix it, make sure that it's fixed to last. I won't use the cheapest option if I'm putting in an air conditioner or use a good quality one that's going to last me 10 years. Um, and, you know, I don't like terms like landlord. You know, I'm the owner. When I'm talking to them about the property, I, I refer to it as their property. Is it okay if I come and come to your place and do this, this and this, not, mm. you know, constantly talk down to them? Um, so... I've got this sort of mindset that friends don't destroy other friends' properties. So I feel that if I give them respect and treat them as though they're um, good friends of mine, that they'll look after my property. I don't do inspections every six months. I've never had any tenants ever trash my properties. How often do you do inspections then? Um, I just go around when they want me to fix something, like when a wall falls down Mm. or... I've been gonna, I was going to actually bring that up in a moment. Um, the long-term accounting insider listeners may r- recall the, uh, I can't remember what we called it. It was, uh, it was one of your nightmare. Actually, there was a couple of episodes back to back where you had a bit of a rough trot, Kim, let's be honest. I did. But you had, but, so the wall fell in basically on one of your properties. Exactly. And uh, the tenant was not happy. But because we had that friendship and that rapport and my rent was cheaper, Hey, how's this? I did the repair. They moved out into temporary accommodation. They moved back in. I've still got them. (laughs) And it's like nothing ever happened. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So if you've got that relationship and you, you know, also introduce them, put in a good word with the neighbours and all of that sort of stuff, they feel part of the community and they're, you know, it becomes home to them. Yeah. And they, you know, it's, it's my home. Ultimately, they're paying for it as if it's theirs. They look after it better and um, the system works well. I don't think everyone gets that right. Everyone sort of focuses on the dollar and getting a really, you know, hard-ass property manager who goes in there and busts their balls every time there's an inspection. <laughs> I'm not like that at all. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that, you know, the last thing the tenants want is grief from a property manager. Yeah. 
what's I guess my final question is what are your observations about the rental market? Uh, I know it's probably a little bit different for you because you have these long-termers, so you're not kind of um, at the mercy of the market, but would you say that at the moment there's more people looking for rental properties than those that are available? How's it kind of sitting? I think there is. Um, yeah, I think there's always going to be a lot of demand from the renters. And, you know, if there's a number of reasons, they might they might actually own their house, but it might be on the other side of the world or they might be doing a renovation. So there's always people in that space and there's a lot of good people in that space. I think the market gets it wrong that they treat everyone like dirt bags when they apply. I mean, it's demoralising and it's humiliating. I get phone calls from a lot of my clients who use me as a referral. And, you know, I just constantly say, look, these are great people. You know, mm. I'd put them into any of my properties if ever I had the chance. So I think that there's a, you know, that we need to change that, hmm. um, not treat them like they're second-class citizens just because they want to rent a place. Um, that they're a tremendous help for any property investor. Um, but I think it's hard. I think there's not enough properties out there available at the top end. I think there's a lot at the bottom end. Um, but if you're buying in these good, subject, uh, good suburbs, you find that your property creeps up there towards the top mm. over a period of, time, period of time and you've got people fighting over it because it's great location, looks great, great street appeal, big, open, well-maintained. So I find that. So for me, it gets better and better as a property manager, as a landlord. Mm. Thanks for listening to Accounting Insider and to connect with Kim. Can I just oh, hey, yeah, good. Yep. one more thing? In. Um, if anyone has got uh, an investment property story, they feel as though they're a property investor, can they contact us and come on the show? Because yeah. I'd like to open that up because um, I think there's a lot of people out there who have got similar stories to me that everyone else would like to hear from. Mm-hmm. So drop us an email, yeah, contact so us. A couple We're, of ways to do it. It's accountinginsider.net is the website where you can connect with Kim. And then there's your email as well, Kim. So uh, listeners should grab a pen because it's a long one. Kim at nitschkinancaro.com.au and we'll put all of the details in the episode description. All good. Any final words, Kim? Uh, you know, I think this is a really good tool and skill to develop. It's, you know, it can save you potentially 10% of your rent. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't think there's anything that an agent can bring to the table that you can't. So my words of advice are if you're half thinking about it go for it thanks for listening 